I'm thrilled to talk to you guys today about one of our sponsors, which is Sutterbox Productions. If you're one of the many artists trying to book your next show, look no further. With years of experience and expertise, Stutterbox is committed to catering to the thing that matters most in a show or festival, coming together for a good time. If you appreciate local businesses and a personal touch, this is the company for you. Find them on Facebook for more information today. Hello, everybody. You're watching slash listening to the McAllister Hours. I'm your host, as always, Colin McAllister. Um, today, we are joined by special guest, Sari Ibrahim. How are you doing, man? Hey, Colin. Good. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Um, like I was mentioning before, we're recording this a couple months before it's going to be released, but I just got over COVID. So I'm I'm hanging in there, chilling, you know. Um, have you gotten hit with COVID yet, or have you been lucky? Yeah, I actually got COVID in August of 2020. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, it was it was like the back then when it was kind of bad. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I had it for like two weeks, and yeah, and then I got vaccinated and haven't had it since. Thankfully, that's good. That's good. Did you get really bad symptoms, or did you handle it okay? Or I actually got I got all the symptoms like no taste, smell, uh, fever, body aches, like everything, like all of it. And wow. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was like having the flu, but like times ten. That sucks. See, my experience wasn't, you know, sorry not to derail here, but, uh, you know, my experience wasn't, you know, that bad. I like, I wouldn't, you know, but I also got Omicron. So, you know, that probably has a lot to do with it too. At least I assume that's what I got. I never, you know, I got tested, but they lost my test. So I don't actually know if I had COVID. I just, (laughs) assuming I had COVID. Um, anyways, before we, you know, get far too far down that rabbit hole, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, what you do exactly, what got you into, you know, wanting to do finances and help people with finances. Just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. We're a financial services firm located in Chicago, Illinois, and we help clients in all 50 states and sometimes in Canada uh, with financial planning, financial coaching, counseling, kind of just planning ahead financially, solving money problems, whether it be debt or saving up for a business or launching a business or saving for retirement. Whatever the case is, we can kind of handle and, and, and take care of. Uh, we've been in business for about six years, and that's kind of my background. As if I'm a financial planner. I got my MBA about seven years ago. Okay. Six, six, seven years ago, I got my MBA. And ever since then, I've just been working in the financial services world and insurance world, helping people um, solve financial problems. And then I started a show called Thinking Like a Bank last year. And the show is, you know, as you could tell, Thinking Like a Bank, we... Uh, show how listeners can think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help them find more financial freedom. So that's kind of our, our message and our objective. And yeah, we're on episode 45 so far and it's going great. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so let me ask you this first. Uh, kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know how much you want to reveal, you know, or, you know, in terms of what your strategies are, but like, you know, I guess, how would you help someone that, uh, you know, is having, uh, you know, kind of financial problems or they're, you know, you know, right now we're at like a, you know, all time high for inflation, you know, people are yes. struggling financially. Um, like, wh- I don't know, what would you, what's like your general uh, strategy or advice for when you're handling that kind of stuff? Yeah. So general strategies, number one, I want to know the person I'm talking to. So we do like mm-hmm. first like an intro call just to get to know each other. And then after the intro call, we do something called a financial analysis call. 
and and this is all done virtually so i'm doing this all on zoom or over the phone and and we do a financial analysis it takes about 60 minutes to do and it's just me asking questions getting to know the person getting to know their situation mm. it's kind of like for example um if you were to hire a lawyer the lawyer's not going to just give you advice i don't know where they have to understand your case and then be mm -hmm. able to give recommendations same thing when you go to a physician they're not going to just prescribe you medication just from when you walk in the door they have to ask you questions and then make the recommendation same thing with us mm -hmm. we can't just make any advice or recommendation we have to know the person know their situation and then know where they want to go so like what is it that they want to accomplish you know um the financial analysis kind of is the map of where to go next and then after the analysis call we do like a personalized solution this is where we present the solution like typically over like a zoom screen share share like screen excel sheets and all of it and show like if you were to do this then this could potentially happen this would potentially help your situation and so on okay um so like I don't know. Obviously, you said that there, you know, different situations pertain to different people. But like, I don't know. Like, what's like a gen what's a general like portfolio of someone? Like, let's say you know someone just got out of college, you know, struggling to pay back student loans or something, um, looking for a job. Like, you know, obviously these are general, uh, you know, yeah. anecdotal type of things. But what I mean, like in that scenario, like what would your general advice be? Would you say? Yeah, so I would sit with this college student and we, I would, for example, I'd ask like, what are some things you want to talk about? And then they might say, like you said, student loans. I have, you know, $100,000 in student loans I need to take care of. That might be their top priority at that, mm -hmm. at, that, at that age and at that situation in their life, you know? And then so we would just, and I would ask, so what is it about it that's important? Do you want to pay it down as soon as possible or do you want to extend it over, you know, the longest period of time, which a lot of people do. A lot of people do extend their student loans because there are a lot of, um, they're not looked at, the debt isn't looked at the same as other types of debt. Mm -hmm. Like having $100,000 in student loans is not the same thing as having $100,000 in credit card debt. Like you can still do a lot of things with student loan debt that you have. So we might we might strategize. And then I might even go further and ask like, what are some of your, you know, what's your five-year goal? And they might say buying a house or getting married, you know? And, you know, we might think of, okay, so what do you need in order for that to happen? Okay, we so you need, you know, 20% down for a down payment. And then how much are you making now? Where do you work? Do you get paid via W-2, via 1099? Um, are you self-employed or full-time employee? And then if you get paid W-2, how about how much are you actually adding, like after taxes? And then what's your savings strategy right now? What are you already doing? Do you have just a regular savings account at a bank that you're putting into? Or do you need help even like setting up a lot of people? A lot of people in this generation don't even have a savings uh, system. You know, it's like um, over the years, like, like in the 1950s, like people saved, like I think it was like 30 or 40% of all their money. And then over the years, that savings number has gone down dramatically, down to like a zero percent in this time and age. And it's not necessarily like a lot of people do have after COVID have had financial problems, but really it's the the increase of spending and electronic payments and social media that's made it much faster to buy things and quicker. Mm. Um, you can you can you can on your day you know like while you're at work making money, you can go on Amazon and then spend more that day on Amazon money than you would at your job. So like back in the day, it wasn't possible really to do that because you had to physically go out places and there were a lot more constraints of spending money. Nowadays, it's like very easy. So a lot of people are having struggles right now saving their money. So we might identify like their savings behavior and then really kind of drive it into where they want to go. And there's like a saying, like you get what you think about. So when you actually plan something out and you actually like think about it, you're more likely to get it. So it's just a matter of like expressing what it is that you want and having a coach or a mentor helping you get there. Mm. So it's a lot of... Uh 
sorry, I keep clicking that fucking pen. Um, it's uh, so it's a lot of mental perseverance, um, a lot of you know sticking to your stuff, basically. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think that the reason, so like, so a lot of people think when they think of money, they think of a tangible item that they already have or or don't have. In other words, it's it's either you have it or don't have it. And the reality is that people who make more money and have more money. Um, tend to think about money differently. They have different mm. mindsets and different training around money versus the opposite. People who don't have a lot of money and don't make a lot of money, it's because of a lack of understanding of how money works in the world mm. and how um, and how they react to money. So it's all about it's 80% of it, or it's maybe 85% of your financial situation in life is about the way you process money and mm. the way you behave around it and, and, and what you do with money. So it's entirely um, a thinking process and a, a mindset process. Mm that's awesome you know uh i i've heard i've listened to some podcasts before i don't know exact terminology but like you know like if you give someone who's a lower income a larger amount of money yes. they're way more likely to spend it because to them that them saving that money doesn't make enough of a significant impact you know in that you know at least in their perceived you know time you know yeah. maybe maybe i'm understanding that wrong but Absolutely, you're right. You know, like even like um, even like expensive clothing brands mm. and expensive things, they tend to target people who, who, just like you said, lower income people who just came across a lot of money quickly. That's the target audience. That's a target market for higher up brands. It's not rich people. In other words, these you know thousand uh, dollar belts and clothes, they're not targeting the wealthy. They're target targeting people who are just between low and middle class and who just got a lot of money. Um, in a short amount of time because <laughs> wealthy people are not going to go, like even if somebody's worth like $100 million, they're not going to want to go and spend, you know, mm. they'll think about it like, all right, you know, should I buy this belt for $1,000 or I can invest it in the stock market or I could hire an employee with this or I could, you know, invest in some marketing and then make this money, like multiply this money by like 10 times over the next 10 years. That's how rich people are thinking about money and that's why they have more money. And I, in my opinion, that's why I think the rich get richer. It's not necessarily because of a political status or an economic status, but more so it's what they're thinking about money and how they, they're reacting to it, like their perception on money. Like a regular person, for example, not regular person, but um, somebody who's not wealthy, if they walk into a store and something's $100, they might look at it as they have 5000 in the bank, they buy something for $100, now they're down to 4900 Somebody who's wealthy, who's an entrepreneur, who's an experienced investor will look at it as they're walking into a store, they're gonna buy something for $100. It's not just $100 they spent. They also lost the opportunity cost they could have earned had they invested that money over the next 10 or 20 years. So it's minus 100 plus the future of the future tense of that money. Damn. Yeah, I mean, like you said, mindset has a lot to do with it. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, what uh, this is again this is kind of general advice but for people who you know find themselves in a lower income situation and they yes. really want to you know they really want to be able to have that mindset where they yes. think about money like that what's your best general advice you can give to someone yeah so self-education is definitely more important than traditional education and what that means is that it's more important for you to go out and find there's you know millions of books out there and podcasts and youtube videos uh for you to first become self-educated that's far more important than traditional education. Like you learn more from watching, listening to podcasts like this and 
watching YouTube videos about money from credible people and reading the right books than you would getting a bachelor's or master's degree or even a PhD in finance or economics from a, a traditional university. You know, um, there's way more practical sense in, in self-education and you learn more things quickly and, and more applicable to your situation. Like if you got a master's degree in economics, you might learn like the last 1000 years, how the world was economically. That's not really going to help you today, you know, and what you're going to be doing today with, with your money. So number one, self-education. Number two, you want to work with a professional the same way how if you wanted to get really good at basketball or if you're in boxing or kickboxing or whatever sport you're in and you wanted to go to that next big level, you would hire a coach. You would want to work with a coach. You would even want to go to a gym or some place where people are experienced, more experienced than you, and you want to train with them. And the same thing is true with money. Like If you want to get better at money, you want to work with a professional, a coach, a mentor, somebody who can help you, somebody who's way ahead of you financially and can show you some of the some of the ropes either in the industry you're in or just about money itself and then also same thing you want to be in an environment like the gym like you want to be in an environment where other people are making more money than you i think those two things will dramatically change you and then if you want to get more technical and and more like if you want to go further like to, in order for you to become wealthy you need to also do th be a part of uh, lucrative industries things that make a lot of money generally speaking I think the top four are either real estate, financial services, healthcare, or technology. And those are very broad. Those four things can probably touch every career or every industry. Mm -hmm. So you want to do something that's going to yield you a higher rate of return. It's going to give you a, a higher return on your investment for the education you put into it and the training you put into it. And again, coaching and being around the right people will lead you in that direction. I like that. that I mean, I yeah, like you said, I think that's good advice for anything. Uh, um what what actually what got you into uh you know being interested in finances like what what was the what was the thing that sparked that yeah so when i was a senior in high school we had to take one class it was like basic you know it was like how to write checks how to what, what to when you go to the bank like opening a checking account a savings account and i actually liked that class a lot like I, I, I knew a lot at that time already at, at a very young age, I was already involved in money. I was good at saving and I was good at like, like create, like, for example, I would like get paid at my job and then had, I had an envelope like under my bed and my goal was like $20 per week in there. And then the money was growing because I was isolating away from me. I wasn't just saving mm. it in my mind or saving it in my pocket, but I had it like separated. So at like the age of like 17, 18, I kind of had a good understanding of money. I had a credit card at the age of 18. Wow. I got into it. All had, this all happened while I was in high school. Like got into like that credit card. That, this is back. So before Obama became president, mm -hmm. credit card companies used to give like seniors in high school, like somebody who's 18, they would give them a credit card, like a thousand dollar limit. So a lot of kids <laughs> would get into a lot of credit card debt. And then I think Obama passed a law saying, all right, credit card companies cannot do that anymore. <laughs> they can't give 18 year olds credit cards. <laughs> that was a good so, business so move, I went, huh? <laughs> I got into credit card debt and out of credit card debt before I even graduated high school. <laughs> wow. So I had a lot of experience with money. And then even when I got into college, I kind of, I wanted to get into business. I wanted to, it was, you know, very general, like, you know, when you're a college student, like you want to do like one day you want to be a dentist and the next day you want to be like an architect, you know, it's, you're all, all over the place. So, but I still knew that I wanted to work with money. I wanted to help people solve financial problems. I, that's why I got my MBA. I wanted to kind of dive deeper into the business world. It was a good start. And then I started working at companies like Allstate and Blue Cross and, and Humana and different insurance companies and got to see how they thought they think and, and how, uh, and what they do. And, you know, and then that's when I started my own business. So, long story short i wanted to be a, a financial like problem solver and i think that right now that's exactly what i'm doing right now okay D do you feel like there was a 
was there like a point where you decided to leave those companies like Blue Cross Allstate and, yeah. you know, start your own thing? Is there something that, you know, kickstarted that idea or is that just something you wanted to do from the get-go? Yeah, I've always wanted to own my own business. I wanted to be in control of my time. Like I, uh, I travel a lot and even when I'm traveling, I'm, I'm still working. So I wanted the flexibility, the freedom uh, of being able to do. And then I also wanted uncapped potential. So a lot of companies I worked at, like, you were capped or you were, you were limited to the area you worked in or the products you were able to offer clients or the amount of clients you were working with. Like you had a lot of limits because it it had to align with the company's goals. So I kind of wanted to break free and then go like as, as wide as possible, as far as possible. And th- that's why I started my own business. And be, like there's so like in the financial services world, um, a lot of a lot of advisors who sell insurance and sell financial products, there's either there's generally two paths to take. One path is the um, the captive route, and then the other path is the independent. So captive is like you work for one company, you wear their polo, you have their business card, you carry their pens, you can only sell that company, you can only represent that company, and then you can only represent the products that the company has. And then you might even have like a territory, or you might even be limited to the state you, you live in. So there's a lot of limitations there. There's still benefits to being captive, but that's limitation. Then independent is just like how it sounds. Mm-hmm. You could literally open a company called ABC Inc and sell whatever you want and have your own brand, your own logo, your own, you could, you could do internationally if you wanted to. And really the sky is the limit independent. It's obviously much harder to do independent because you have to come up with all the marketing, all the system, all the processes, whereas captive, it's kind of like done for you system. It's almost like a franchise system. Mm-hmm. Everything's already set. All you have to do is just follow their system and follow the rules. Independent, you have to create those rules and create the, the process. So I chose to be independent um, and then, Kind of run my business that way so that way also too i wouldn't be put in a situation where i had to help a client with a particular solution that was only going to align with the company i wanted to align with the client's goals if that makes sense so like i wanted it to be i wanted to be more agile and and, and flexible in the sense of being or being able to help clients in, in different areas like some clients might want to get into real estate investing we could do that we can help them with real estate investing if they wanted to be active real estate investing or passive real estate investing we can help them with that so wanted to really take a step back and then focus on the client's interests. Okay. That's cool. Um, let me ask you this question, like looking further into the future, um, like, you know, 10, 20 years, do you think that there's going to be more of a, you know, people doing what you do independent or do you think there's going to be more franchise? Like, where do you think that's going to go? Yeah. So we're definitely heading overall more towards an independent world more people today are making money self-employed through 1099 contracts um you know in the, in their own ways that's 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 what that explains why we're in the great resignation right like i don't know four million people quit like in a month last year oh, wow. um something crazy some crazy number like that in the in the united states so we're in we're definitely heading towards an area of more independence both from companies money like bitcoin and cryptocurrency and then you know nfts and the way that we're operating so in social media, so we're definitely heading more towards an independent world as far as journalism, economics, financial situations, employment, for sure. Yeah, more towards independent, I would say. Definitely. Um, and I, I'm assuming you being independent, you, you that's a good thing, as I, I would agree. Yeah, it's good for me and it's good for the clients, too, because I could I could essentially do whatever the client wants to do. Like within if it's good for them and it's beneficial for them, we could do it. Uh, we don't have to put our interest first or our kind of like our paychecks first. We don't need to do that. We can put the mm. clients first and really focus on what they want to do. 
I like that, man. Um, yeah, and we can talk about this more, you know, towards the end of the podcast, but uh, I'm a big believer in crypto and um, yeah. NFTs and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm full, you know, fully with like independent um, business people and people being able to make money independently. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you this. This is kind of just a general question about like, uh, you know, finances and, you know, you know how you, you described like making money yourself. Do you feel like. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like you have to have a competitive nature to be able to do that? Or do you think that's something that anyone can do? I think that it's a good question. I think that humans are far more capable than they think they are. Like, in other words, you can mm. do way more than what you believe in. I agree. Um, it comes time. It, it comes down to training and education, more self-education, of course. Uh, and you can do anything you want in the world. You have to believe in yourself. You have to ev- eventually say, I can do it and then believe in yourself and then, you know, you get what you think about. Uh, you know, a person gets what they think about. Uh, Whatever is in their mind throughout the day is what they attract through. You know, in life. So yeah, definitely, you don't need to be competitive. I think you could be trained to be more competitive mm. for sure. So you know, there's a there's this kind of this misconception that people have, and I saw this a lot, like growing up and in high school and college, is that people would identify, people would categorize careers and opportunities with their personalities like mm-hmm. oh i can't be a lawyer because i don't argue a lot or i don't like to mm. argue or i can't be you know i can't be an engineer because i'm not good at math right now and the reality is that that's not how <laughs> that's I, that's not how um the future is it's not how your future is it's 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 all about training and having the right processes in place to get the things you want there's also a book I wanted to, you know, that would better explain everything I'm trying to convey right now. It's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And the book differentiates somebody having a fixed mindset from um, a growth mindset. So a fixed mindset is where you apply your fixed qualities that you already have today to fix things that you that you believe you cannot control. Like, all right, I'm not good at math today. You know, I got a C in algebra. I got a C in geometry. I'm not good. And I struggled. I'm not going to be an engineer or an architect because of those reasons. And... And uh, the growth mindset would say is today you got to see, you know, but what if you were to, what if you were to have the right training and the right process in place to get better at math, which you could do. It's just like, it's like learning a language. You could do that. And then growth mindset would encourage practice and trial and error to get the things you want. So to to answer your original question, you do not need to have natural qualities to be an entrepreneur. Mm. You just need to be trained and you need an open mindset. And most importantly, you need to believe in yourself. You need to see, you need to see more in yourself than you're you're seeing right now and actually believe that you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. Mm. I like that. I I feel like a lot of the reason why, you know, this is kind of getting general, but, um, you know, I think a lot of the reason why people don't think like that is because of, you know, American culture, you know, very, very like handouty, like, you know, gimme, gimme type of thing. You know, I think we're, I think that's changing though. I think the younger generations, you know, like, you know, we're talking about crypto. I think we are finding more independent people. Um, but traditionally, yeah, it's just seemed to been like, you think about like the people like Wolf and wall street, that kind of stuff. Like most people wouldn't do that because there's such a level of risk to like making that much money. And like the people who work those kind of jobs, I mean, no, like very few people want to actually have that work week, you know, that like yeah. 60, 80 hour work week of like, yeah, of course the people that are, the thing people don't realize, like the people that want these, you know, kind of handouts is like, you know, the people who make that kind of money work way more than you are probably ever willing to do. Yes. You know, 
yeah. that's yeah. just a You're sad right. reality like the the very sl- small sliver of people who make that kind of income like their lives are hell <laughs> <laughs> it's great but like no, it, there's an aspect of it that i you know for me personally i could not yeah. grind like that yeah well here's the thing what if there's a way where you can make a lot of money in your life and this is not not like you know selling a get get rich quick thing but i'm just mm-hmm. saying like for you to think about this what if there's a way for you to make you know a lot of money in your life without having to you know constantly work for that money and that's where like that's where mm-hmm. a lot of passive income comes in from you know this is why a lot of people do real estate real estate is one of those things where you can build up for like 10 years of your life and then maybe longer and then after that reap the benefits of that in the future without having to put in the same amount of work you put in when you were you know 10 10 years ago you know what i mean so like there are ways that and this is where like the, the, the smart and wealthy come in because it's like like you said like if you're working 80 hours a week to make like half a million dollars a year i don't really think it's worth it like you're never gonna yeah. be at home you're never gonna spend time with your family or friends you're not gonna travel you're not gonna you're not gonna ever have any hobbies really like the only thing you're gonna know is just work and it kind of defeats the purpose even if it was a million dollars a year but if you were working 60 80 hours a week for let's say 10 years and then after that you only had to work five hours a week or 10 hours a week mm-hmm. then i think that would be worth it mm-hmm. you know and you could still earn the same amount of money that you did back then plus plus more plus a continuing grow a, a, a continued growth with inflation and other things mm. i like that that's uh yeah i you know i i think like i said we're going to a day and age where i think more and more people are going to be able to do that for themselves independently yeah. you know um your podcast thinking like a bank uh yes. what you kind of brushed over a little bit but like uh when did why did you start that and like how have you been able to like find the people that you do to like do interviews and stuff yeah so some of the so i, I the reason why i started the show was i really wanted to give up as much free content as possible i wanted to share strategies with people things that they could apply um, for them to kind of get out of the rat race and kind of live life on their own terms so I brought on like accountants, lawyers, bankers, real estate investors, real estate professionals to talk about what they're doing. And every every episode is about like personal experiences, personal things, not just about like objects or things, but more so about their personal lives and what they're doing and how people could really just copy those strategies and, and apply them in their own lives. And I did the show also to spread more awareness about our company and how we can help people. And I think that so most of the guests have reached out, have reached out inbound they come to us to be on the to be on the show and also i reach out to some people too i'm pretty active on linkedin and youtube so if i see somebody who's like promoting content about like you know um um raising capital or like becoming your own bank or things like that i'll reach out to them and ask them to come on the Mm -hmm. show as a guest speaker and yeah we just launched episode 45 today it was a weekly weekly podcast and we're looking definitely i'm looking to keep going you know and the sky is the limit with that that's oh, awesome. And another thing too. Yeah. yeah. So I just um so the, the show is called Thinking Like a Bank, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote a book called Thinking Like a Bank. It's more of an ebook. It's you know, it's it's like a 40 page ebook. Okay. And I give it away for free. So like this oh. can at the end I can share the website, but like yeah, the website yeah. you can go to and download the ebook for free. And it talks about financial strategies that literally the banks use and then that you can apply in your life. Mm. That's awesome. I you know, I and like I said, I think that's the that's kind of the cheat to you this day and age is that we get to kind of, you know, there's a day and age where these things were kind of mysterious to people, how banks work. Yeah. And now we, so I, I really like that you're doing that. Um, you know, and there's, there is such a, 
and I didn't really discover this until like, you know, within the last year, like there is a crazy growing amount of like financial podcasts. Like that's yeah. like a whole like sect that like, you know, you think about like Joe Rogan, and all these people, you would never think like that there would be like, you know, this rising thing of financial podcasts. But I mean, obviously you're an example of it. And yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. A rising of, of podcasts and um, like TikTok financial advice. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that's a thing now, but most of them are not actually experienced financial planners. Mm. Um, they're just like selling a course or like selling yeah. an, like a, like an idea. So let me ask you this then, like yeah. of the, I don't know, this is again, I'm full generalization, so bear with me, but like sure. the, the kind of the blanket term of like, you know, people that go on and have financial advice and stuff like what percent of those people do you think are legitimate and have like legitimately good advice? Maybe 10%. Wow. And I'll give you, and I'll, and I'll tell you why it's because if you flip that number, most financial advisors who are um, experienced and competent in financial planning are not on mm. social media or <laughs> it's because one. they're first of all, it's because the average age of a financial advisor is 59 and a half. So that's right there. That's one indication that they're not going to be all over social media and all over online marketing. It doesn't mean that people in their fifties are not tech savvy, but that it, it means that they're most likely going to not be on social media. So that's one area. And then the other part of it too, is that you can always verify like, so all all financial and insurance licensing, and I say insurance because a lot of financial advisors also encompass insurance planning within it. So almost all the licensing is public information. So if you are wondering if somebody's actually legit or not, you can just Google their name and then um, Google like, you know, so they have to either register with the federal government or the state government for some sort of state uh, or um, state insurance or federal um financial license they have, so they have to have some sort of credential for that and if they don't have anything then that's one huge indication that they're not probably legit you know mm. it, again it doesn't mean that if you don't have any credentials at all you are not legit that's what i'm saying i'm saying in most situations it probably doesn't and then you could also look up their experience look them up on linkedin look them up see what they've done if they just you know or not just have like a tiktok account and a youtube account that's it and then really no education or certifications or licenses then i probably wouldn't take their advice and a lot of them a lot of them do general advice they keep things kind of general mm -hmm. and like oh buy this stock or buy this you know uh this crypto or whatever it's not really backed by like financial advice you know i see yeah i you know i can imagine <clears throat> in the world of scamming and all that uh you know that that avenue specifically could be uh could be a problem uh quick anecdote i had a uh, my ex-wife one time invested in a pyramid scheme she went out she went with a friend to a mall and came back and was like hey i just bought a hundred dollars worth of makeup like are you kidding me <laughs> you know and she you know she did the whole like explained it like oh but it's like this thing you know i just have to sell it to this many people it's like and the funny thing was she had just moved to the city so i'm like you don't even know anyone like who are you gonna <laughs> sell these things to so yeah, yeah i mean I, it's i think it's important for people to be smart um for people yeah. to and that's hard. You know, I, I can imagine that there are a lot of people who, you know, now more than ever in the day, day and age of the Internet get duped financially, you know. You're right. There's a lot more of that because a lot of people want like people want the passive income, the increase in income. They want those things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with it. So it's possible. It's out there. I just think that a couple of like ground rules are like it's never going to be fast. It's never going to be like, oh, yeah, you just buy this one membership for a hundred dollars and then tomorrow you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars. It's never like that. 
And then you also want, it has to be like realistic and logical, what you're going to be doing. And then uh, work with, always try to try your hardest to work with as many mentors and coaches as you possibly can. Like professionals who do this on a daily basis, who are licensed to have businesses, who, who are doing this professionally and, and, and kind of work with them. There are a lot of actually, a lot of advisors. So a lot of people think that in order to work with an advisor or mentor or coach, you have to pay them upfront. Uh, and sometimes that's true, but sometimes people will work with you like pro bono. That means like they you only pay them after you get the results. Mm-hmm. Or and some people like for example our agency, we only get paid after a whole solution has been implemented and after the client agrees to actually go through with the solution. This means mm-hmm. that you could do the intro call, the financial analysis, the solution presentation, all get all the recommendations you want, learn more about your financial behavior, all that for free. Uh, because we get paid at the end once you actually start funding the solution we get paid at the end of that uh within that so in other words you don't have to pay extra for our services and a lot of other people charge similar to this to the way we do it but because we wanted we don't want to scare people away we don't want to say like in order to get on the phone with us you have to pay 300 an hour and we start building from the first call some a lot of advisors i think most consultants and advisors charge that way like you have to pay them upfront for the services it's not going to be just like six months of free advice and consulting and mentoring um, until you actually implement a solution. So I just want to kind of put that out there is that you might be listening and say, all right, that's great. You know, it's, it sounds nice to hire professionals, but you know, I'm fresh out of college and I make $30,000 a year. That's fine. We can help you. Hmm. I like that. Um, yeah. Kind of like the idea of a lawyer, you know, like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I like for me personally, I can imagine I would be, you know, if I was trying to figure that out and somebody had these, you know, just hit me with the fees right off the bat, I might be a little turned yeah. off to. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that, that you're willing to, like, work with people and that kind of stuff. Uh, let me ask you this uh, one, the last question I had. Kind of kind of talking about, like, cryptocurrency and, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs. Like, what, I guess, what's your general thoughts and opinions on that? Yeah, so it's tricky because I'm not a professional. I'm not a yeah expert in cryptocurrency mm-hmm. i just think i have some bitcoin not some bitcoin i, I invested some into bitcoin mm-hmm. and um i think it's a little bit volatile i think that eventually i actually i, I had a guy in my show the, the the episode's not live and he was explaining this to you he was explaining this to me he's like so right now when bitcoin is twenty thousand dollars and then the next day it goes down to like ten thousand it's like a dramatic hit for a lot of people because people are looking at it as an investment they're looking at it as like a stock like their stock just dropped mm-hmm. by like percent but he's like, eventually what's going to happen with Bitcoin, this is his this is his prediction. He says that it's going to go to like $100 million a coin or even more than that, maybe like a billion dollars a coin. And then that way, when every day it's dropping and going up ten dollars or $20,000, it's just like currency. You don't really feel it. Like the, like the US yeah. dollar every day is fluctuating, right? Mm-hmm. Against other, other currencies, like the euro and other currencies, it's fluctuating. But because it's there's so many dollars and, you know, it's trillions of dollars, we don't feel that like on a, it's not like today we're going to go to the store and something's a dollar and we're going to go back the next thing it's two dollars right away yeah um because it's it's a it's a for the most part i think a stable currency and i he, he says that bitcoin will be that's the future of bitcoin mm. it's going to get to the point where it's going to be a modern way of spending instead of you buying something with dollars you're going to use bitcoin he says that all the other currencies cryptocurrencies are kind of not even worth the time oh really um, hmm. interesting yeah, precisely bitcoin that's it I don't know. Yeah, that's just that. That was his opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know much about crypto. I think that, I think that it goes back to the whole independent thing, right? It's like it's going to be the future because Bitcoin. You can't 
governments and politicians can't really mess with Bitcoin. They can't increase the value of it, or decrease the value of it, yeah. or, or sabotage it. And it's not a centralized system. So well, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure uh, the Czech Republic uh, caused Bitcoin's uh, value to drop. Really? Recently, this last month, yeah, there was some government thing where they they didn't like Bitcoin, so the price dropped. So that, uh, you know, I'm not like a financial wizard or anything, so my understanding is pretty vague. But um, that is kind of the fear of Bitcoin is like government involvement. So like the U.S. were to say, you know, tomorrow, like Bitcoin's illegal, you can't use. If you are in the U.S., you can't use Bitcoin. Like that would potentially take a hit. In Bitcoin. Yeah, you're right. They could do that, and they could. And, and governments could buy it, right? They could mm-hmm. buy it in like billions of dollars and then yep. kind of mess. They, yeah, so you're right. They could kind of mess with it because they could buy it and then like hold on to it for a couple of days and then sell it all and then like a whole bunch of people would lose a lot of money. Yeah. So like, I think there's things they could do like that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But but no, I mean, I, I'm a big believer. I mean, like I said, you're like, you're more the financial guy than I am. This whole interview, I've kind of just been along for the ride, kind of, you know? Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in like Bitcoin, the future yeah. of, of that and all that. So, um, but so, but you would still recommend like, I don't know, kind of, I don't know, like, I guess, I guess if you were to compare like, you know, going the route of Bitcoin or going, you know, kind of what you do, would you still more recommend like what you do or? Yeah, I would recommend more safe solutions. I w- so I would, I would actually want to find out like what percentage they want that's going to be safe. I would recommend a, actually a higher percentage. Um, I would still do Bitcoin, and it depends on what the client's goals are, and it depends on mm-hmm. what they want to get out of it, right? Like, if they want to use it as a as as, a, as an actual currency, that's one story. But if they wanted to invest their money, like grow their U.S. dollars using Bitcoin, that's a completely different conversation, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I I definitely think that take a step back from all of the noise out there and all the products and the cryptocurrencies and the stocks and things like that. And kind of focus more on what you want to do and what your goals are and then work with somebody a professional who can help you connect all the dots for you that's that's like my ultimate advice i like it. i like it excuse me sorry this has been a great um interview i guess do you have any anything else you wanted to mention or discuss before we wrapped up here yeah coleman yeah it was really nice being on here nice talking to you um yeah listeners can download a free ebook if they want to learn more about the concepts we specialize in they can go to thinkinglikeabank.com and then they can download the ebook for free it's thinkinglikeabank.com that's also the name of our podcast so you can check out the podcast if you want to learn more about how you could plan financially for the future just check out thinkinglikeabank.com awesome um sorry this has been a great interview um stay stay on after we end and we'll talk sure. briefly before i let you go all right yes peace everybody have a good one